Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gorn. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news and wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. Lockdowns across Europe and the US as coronavirus wreaks havoc in the drinks industry. Michael Broadbent, MW, legendary wine writer and auctioneer, dies aged 92. UK fine wine investment company wound down because of fraud. And as ever, our wine of the week. Well, our week in wine has been largely centered around coronavirus, which continues to spread around the world with devastating effect. Here in California, the week began with San Francisco and its surrounding counties seeing secure in place come into effect, which means that no one can leave their home except for essential activities. So starting Tuesday at midnight, the same restrictions came into place here in Sonoma County. And then on Thursday, Governor Gavin Newsom issued a statewide decree. So this means that we can only leave home to exercise, walk the dog, and shop for food and medicine. And uh, get into our wine cellar, of course, as well, right? We'll be talking about that later. Lots of fun wines we've been opening. Uh, Likewise, in the UK, the government finally bowed to the inevitable and closed all pubs, bars, restaurants, and gyms, although there are reports that people aren't following social distancing protocol as strictly as they should. In Spain, the restrictions are even stricter as residents aren't allowed to leave home almost at all. Even walking the dog is restricted to them doing their business and then going back inside straight away, while in Italy, all non-essential businesses are to close. It's all extremely worrying and stressful, and here in Sonoma, Secure in Place will remain in effect until the 7th of April, but who knows if it will have to continue until after then. Yeah, so we've been uh, stuck at home, walking the dog a lot, and trying to get as much exercise in and making sure we don't uh, go crazy. Finnegan is very happy, it's true. And he thinks this is the new normal, just uh, the two of us with him all the time and walking him all the time. And staring at him. (laughs) And back. Yeah, so yeah, we're not we haven't gone crazy yet. It's been less than a week, a couple more weeks to go. Hopefully uh, by that stage the virus will be controlled better than it is, but I have to say the leadership from politicians isn't inspiring or um, reassuring. So we're just going to see how this progresses from day to day, and I know uh, all of you out there are pretty probably in the same um, state. So hopefully this podcast will provide you some distraction. And of course, all of this presents uh, pretty sad news across the wine industry. Uh, Some friends of ours have already lost their jobs because of the crisis. The closure of bars and restaurants mean that businesses just can't afford to pay their employees who aren't working. Even global drinks giant InBev has taken out its entire $9 billion loan facility to mitigate huge losses after seeing its stock fall by 50%. And it seems inevitable that many businesses will be forced to close because of the loss of income. A typical example is the Union Square Hospitality Group, which has laid off 2,000 staff across its 20 nationwide restaurants due to a near-complete elimination of revenue. They hope to have rehire staff once the crisis is over, but that's of little comfort to those who will be without work for the next few weeks or beyond. Uh, just one note, uh, Cadet, which is a wine bar in Napa, so here close by, um, they had to lay off all of their hourly employees, but they started a crowdfunding campaign to raise money for uh, for these employees that they couldn't afford to keep on. So there have been very innovative ways that businesses are coping with it, but it's quite tragic all around. Difficult times. Meanwhile, in Pennsylvania, liquor stores have had to close completely, which has simply forced locals to travel to neighbouring Delaware to buy their booze, which seems counterproductive. Uh, Not surprisingly, many events across the world continue to be cancelled. Most recently, Wines of of Spain's March event in London, 
the London Wine Fair, which was due to take place in May, and the Bacardi Legacy Cocktail Competition, due to take place in Miami, also in May. In the UK, though, there has been some support for the hospitality industry, as the Chancellor this week announced that businesses would not have to pay business rates for the next year, and workers will receive 80% of their income. Although as yet, this doesn't cover the self-employed freelancers or those on zero-hour contracts. So despite all the doom and gloom, many wineries and retail outlets have reacted strongly by boosting their online presence. We've uh, received countless emails from wineries across the West Coast promoting online sales of their wines, offering discounts and or free shipping. Jancis Robinson on her website has compiled a huge list of retailers who are offering online sales and home delivery. So please do support your local independent wine shops. Also, here in California, restaurants are still allowed to sell takeaway food, something we took advantage of on Friday with a local restaurant, Wishbone, which we could never uh, try before that before now because there were, the line was always around the corner uh, every weekend at brunch, so we were kind of excited to, to try it finally. We ordered ahead online and then picked up the food without leaving the car and with minimal contact with the waitress, so a great way, again, of supporting local businesses and staying safe. Wineries are doing their bit with uh, virtual tastings. I've seen quite a few good ones recently. Uh, Frog's Leap did one with uh, founder and owner uh, John Williams and his son Rory. And, you know, they opened some current releases that uh, they had shipped out so that their wine club members had them or anybody watching the live feed. Uh, And then they opened some older vintages as well, which was fun. And then Wine Business Monthly, uh, the trade publication, they're organizing a webinar for Tuesday at 11 a.m. for all DTC managers and staff who want to learn more about virtual tasting and best practices. So lots of things happening. It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens next. Yeah, I did a a virtual tasting this week as well with a student and some friends of his. So we're all on Zoom on different cameras in different locations, all tasting and Bordeaux. So I was teaching them about Bordeaux. They all had a different bottle. And that's actually a really good way, because they all had different bottles, to talk about the different regions of Bordeaux and the different grape varieties. So it wasn't just focused on one wine. It was um, a really good um, kind of overview of the region. So other uh, positives, uh, restrictions on the sales of alcohol have also been lifted um, here in California, but I believe in New York as well, with bars and restaurants able to sell cocktails to go. We got a couple of gin and tonics with our takeaway meal, which we enjoyed greatly. Mm-hmm. Another trend has been for breweries and distillers to make much in-demand hand sanitizers. This trend was led by LVMH, and absolute vodka as well, and lots of big and small companies have followed suit. For example, a local distiller based in Sonoma, Prohibition Spirits, are making cocktail-inspired hand sanitizers like Old Fashioned and French 75. And they're making those for Chateau Sonoma, uh, my sister's shop. Um, so you can buy them on her website at www.chateausonoma.com. So we all need to do everything we can to get over this pandem- pandemic. And it's inspiring to see companies react creatively to the crisis. And I think they're going to have to. Please stay safe and don't go out unless you have to. And if you need to buy wine, there are plenty of retailers who will deliver to you. And in other news... More sad news this week as legendary wine auctioneer and writer Michael Broadbent died aged 92. Although there's no doubt he led life to the full and with few regrets. 
Broadbent was perhaps best known as an auctioneer. After working for Harvey's, the Bristol merchant known for Harvey's Bristol Cream, he joined Christie's in 1966 when the auction house had no fine wine vision, determined to make London the center of fine wine acquisitions, which he certainly succeeded in doing. He was senior director of the wine department until 1992 and remained a senior consultant until 2009. Despite transforming Christie's, and by extension, London's, wine auctions, Broadbent's reputation was tainted slightly by his association with counterfeiter Hardy Rodenstock, who convinced Broadbent of the authenticity of bottles he claimed had belonged to Thomas Jefferson. That was just a minor glitch in a glittering career, which also saw him write for Decanter from 1977 to 2012, publish many books, including 1968's Wine Tasting, which was republished last year, and be appointed Chevalier of the Order Nationale du Mérité in 1979. He was also chairman of the Institute of Masters of Wine. He became an MW in 1960, master of the Worshipful Company of Distillers, and president of the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. And I loved this quote from Alan Montague Dennis, uh, director of prestige sales at UK agency Menzendorf. He said, I think Michael's love of daily rituals a little glass of chilled Verdeo at 11 a.m., a buck's fizz to kickstart the day, and the habitual Bloody Mary before lunch and dinner made him totally lovable. Now that is a routine to live by, I must say. Anyway, quite a lifetime of achievements. So to read more, we do recommend Jancis Robinson's obituary on her website. I really want to be master of the worshipful company of distillers. It sounds like uh, something from Charles Dickens. Isn't that a title, right? Yeah. I think if you've earned that title in your life, you can uh, rest easy. Rest easy. Well, here's to Michael. Uh, We'll be toasting him later on with a very nice bottle of wine, I think. The fine wine investment company Dow & Jones Limited has been closed down in the public interest after a court hearing in the UK this week. The company was established in September 2015 selling fine wine as an investment opportunity. To promote sales, investors were also told that they had to make further purchases in order to sell their portfolio quicker and at a higher price. However, it was found that the company was selling stock to investors at twice the retail price, meaning that it was highly unlikely they would ever make any money on their investments. Staff were also unwittingly selling investments to customers using sales records taken from failed companies. Dow and Jones had been the subject of investigation by the Insolvency Service, who found that the company had failed to honour orders dating back to 2016 and had filed inaccurate accounts. So just to be clear here, Matthew, is this different from the Dow Jones Industrial Average? I believe so. The name itself would raise some suspicions if I were having to deal with them. Well, as the senior investigator of the Insolvency Service said, the courts recognized the unscrupulous nature of Dow and Jones when it wound up the company, and our advice is always to reject unsolicited investment offers that sound too good to be true. So we've reported quite a bit on wine fraud on the pod, so do be careful when receiving offers on investing in wine. Unfortunately, there are some unscrupulous people out there, and wine investment is a difficult business to make money out of, as it is. If anyone promises you that they can make you a profit out of wine, they're probably lying, as anyone working in the wine industry knows very well. Now for our wine of the week. 
So enclosed in our home all week, we've been drinking plenty of fine wine to keep us healthy and sane. So there are quite a few contenders for our wine of the week. Uh, In fact, Matthew and I were going to have a face-off over which wine to choose until one winner surprisingly emerged over dinner tonight on Sunday. So first, which wines were in contention? Well, Matthew's choice was a Hermitage from 2012 by Fagier Gonet, a classically meaty and spicy Northern Rhone Syrah. And my choice was another Northern Rhone, this time a white from Saint-Péret, a Roussan-Marsan blend uh, from one of my favorite producers, Tardieu Laurent. It was rich, creamy, round, and full-bodied, but very refined. I do love a good Saint-Péret. Uh, so which wine managed to better these two is the question. Well, there's been a wine sitting in our cellar for quite a while, which we didn't know too much about. It's from 2006, and I opened it thinking it was about time to do so but with no idea if it would be any good or not. And Katie tasted it blind. And where did you think it was from, Katie? Well, judging from the sort of dusty tannins and yet still kind of fruit on the nose and on the palate, I said Italy. I have to say Italy was a very good call. Uh, We had tobacco, dried flour, red fruit aromas, and gripping tannins, dusty, as you said, balanced by high acidity. But... In actual fact, it was from Red Mountain in Washington State by a producer called Cadence, a small winery run by Ben Smith and Gay McNutt, and we were blown away by just how good this wine was. The name of the wine is Belcanto, and it comes from the Caramia Vineyard on Red Mountain, one of Washington's best as well as the smallest AVAs. The blend is 52% Cabernet Franc and 48% Merlot. And Katie, you do love those two great varieties together, don't you? They're among my favourite, it's true. What makes the extremely high quality of the wine particularly surprising is that the Caramia vineyard was only planted in 2004. So this wine is from fruit, which was only in its third season. Fruit that young shouldn't be making wine this good. Or so age-worthy. True. But it does prove just how ageable and sophisticated the best wines of Washington are. And according to the website, the current release is um, 2016, and now it's 82% 82% Cabernet Franc, so they've really upped the level of Cabernet Franc. And didn't they add some Petit Verdot in it as well? A little bit. So it's 12% Merlot and 6% Petit Verdot. Mm-hmm. So sounds like a different wine, but with the same principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it retails for $60, and we'd de- definitely like to try that and see how the style has evolved since its first inception. And a little bit about Cadence. Uh, as Matthew said, we knew nothing about this producer before. Uh, however, they I believe they have a winery right in downtown Seattle. Isn't that right? Apparently, on 15th Street. So next time we're in Seattle, once we get out of this uh, quarantine, we'll definitely have to go and uh, visit them. Yes, we will. Things to look forward to. That's what's keeping us going. Cheers to that. So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gorn. Join us next week for another wind-up. And in the meantime, we ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps other listeners searching for the news in wine to find us. Especially if the reviews are positive. That's right. See you next week. Cheerio!